So today we're going to continue in our series in James. And, and how, many, how many last week when we read, the, we read the entire book of James in one sitting, which is, which is kind, of, kind of something we've never really done before. How many, how many enjoyed that way more than you thought you might enjoy that? Sounds, sounds bad even to say that. So, yeah, I, I totally thought, man, it was super cool. It was encouraging to me to be able to see the whole book there. And so today, we kind of looked at the introduction last week, and we looked at James, who was the brother of Jesus, right? The brother of Jesus, and, and he didn't believe in Jesus, and now he changed his mind, and he wrote this book to people that were persecuted. And today, we're going to talk about diamonds, diamonds. Anybody own diamonds in here? Anybody own diamonds in here? Maybe you got a ring or something? Nobody? Miss Sherry owns a diamond. Miss Sherry owns it. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know if you got some ice going on on you. I didn't know. So, yeah. So, I have my only real experience with diamonds is when I went and I wanted to marry Joe, right? And in our culture, we give engagement rings. And so, I called this guy. I, I can't even remember his name. He's, he's since passed away. But he was a friend of mine. He said, I got my ring from a gemologist in Massachusetts. And I went, well, that sounds cool. So let me do that. So I called this guy. What was the dude's name? I don't remember. No, it wasn't, it wasn't that. He had a weird name. He had a weird name. He was a nice guy. But I called him. He had this really thick Boston accent. And he had like, it was really weird. And I called him. I said, hey, I said, I think his name was Patrick, maybe. I said, I said, I said Mr. Patrick, I said, I need a ring for my fiance. And he literally, he goes, well, what type of ring do you have in mind for this beautiful young lady? That's exactly how he talked, just like that. And he would... And so we, he sent me some pictures, and he actually built me this ring that I gave to Joe. We were on the beach, and I didn't want to lose it. And so, like, we, we had this, and I, I gave Joe this ring, and I proposed all this stuff. And I don't know much about diamonds, but I did some research this week, and I won't, I won't bore you with all the details. But in order to make a diamond, is anybody, is anybody familiar with the process of making a diamond? First, here's how it goes. The first thing you need, you need carbon. Show me carbon. It's hard to see. Carbon, basically coal, right? Okay. You need carbon, which is this black stuff, which looks nothing like a diamond. Imagine if I would have proposed to Joe with carbon. Here, babe. Will you marry me? This is my carbon ring. Like she would, she should have said no. She's worth more than carbon. Here's what happened. Carbon goes deep into the ground. Show me ground. Look at that ground. Sediment is. I forget the exact numbers, but it's. It's mega deep in the ground, right? So it goes deep in the ground, and then you need pressure. Pressure. Maybe not a pressure cooker. They can actually make diamonds in labs, but real diamonds are made deep in the ground, and the ground creates a certain amount of pressure. And then, with the pressure, with the carbon, deep in the ground, you get heat. Heat. I didn't know this. Most diamonds come to the surface through what is called a funnel volcano because you have the pressure you have the ground but they're way deep in the ground you can't even get but the funnel volcano and the lava brings them to the surface and you get diamonds right here I thought that was funny but it's corny but right there <laughs> diamonds diamonds it's bad if Brad doesn't laugh at your joke that's when that's when it's bad right there so diamonds you say what, what do diamonds have to do with the book of James. Glad you asked. Right here. Anybody remember who the book of James was written to? Anybody remember? 
So it was written by James, written in AD 40, first book in the New Testament that was written really, or the earliest one. And, and it was written to a certain group of people. Anybody remember what that was? Okay, Jews. There were Jewish Christians in the first church. And what was specific about these Jewish Christians? They were being, anybody remember? Persecuted. Persecuted. And so James, literally at the start of his book, he writes to a whole group of people who, just because they were followers of Jesus, they were being killed. All their earthly possessions were being taken from them. They were being rejected in society. They were being imagined. Imagine if you came into town and at a cross point check, somebody said, are you a Christian? You said, yes. They said, get out of the car. This is my car now. This is my house. In fact, if you, you know, we killed your parents, but we don't want to kill you, so you can just persecute it. James is writing to these people who are persecuted, and it brings up a very interesting word. And if you, everybody in this room has dealt with this word at some point in your life, maybe on a broad scale, maybe on just a little scale, but you've dealt with it, and you will continue to deal with it. Here's the word. Suffering. Suffering. How many of you are honest right now? Sometime in your life, let's, say, let's not even go your life. Sometime in this past year, so 2019, you went through some trial, some suffering, something that was painful and hard. How many went through something like that? Yeah. Totally. Totally. We have bad days. People get divorced. Our health. We, we have things that, that, that nobody knows about, but just in our soul, it just aches. Part of living on this earth is suffering. You say, well, this is a very bleak message, Roger. I thought we were talking about diamonds, and now we're talking about your life is going to be hard. Here's the deal. I think James started his book with suffering because he realized that if we don't understand suffering, we don't understand what God is trying to do in those things, then we can't get to the rest of the book because we won't trust the person who gave us the message. Imagine if I had gotten the right ring for Joanna and we had dated, but Joe didn't trust me and she wasn't sure that she wanted to marry me. It would not have mattered how much pressure the diamond went through it wouldn't have gotten to its intended purpose. And some of you, at this point in your life, you have gone through things that if you don't reconcile them with God, you won't be able to walk in the path that He's called you to. So we're going to talk about suffering today. I've got three points. I've got a lot of subpoints. Write them down so you can keep up. Jeremy was making fun of me because I have like 8,000 slides, but it's all right. It's important. Here's the first point. First point, get God's vision on trials and suffering. Get God's vision on trials and suffering. Let's go to James. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let his steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
Now, here's the important fact that we get right off the bat when we read this passage. This is how James, this is literally verse 2. It's like, hey guys, I know you're going through persecution. My name is James. First thing I'm going to say to you, trials are coming. It's right there. Look at the passage. It does not say, count it all joy, my brothers, if you meet various trials. If perchance a trial shows up in your lives sometime along the way, if that happens, it probably won't, but if it does, count it all joy. It says, when. This is very key. Because you will not prepare for things that you don't think are coming. I have insurance on my house, right? I have tornado insurance. I have hail insurance. I have flood insurance. You know what I don't have on my house? I do not have volcano insurance. I don't. There's people in Hawaii who do. You know why? Because there's volcanoes in Hawaii. There's no volcanoes at 18 Westview Drive. What if tomorrow, up the hill, all of a sudden, I see like a plume of smoke? And like down the driveway, there's like lava like coming down. You know what I'm going to call? And they're going, hey, Steve. Can we get volcano insurance? Like, here's some of the things, though. Some of you have adopted this mentality in your life, and you didn't mean to, but it came from, it came from Disney, and it came from Nickelodeon, and all these things that, like, like, like life is, it just, it just works out, right? And it's just all happy, and just, like, there's pixie dust, and, like, all this stuff. And, and this verse says, when trials come. That means the trial's coming in your life. Like more than one. Trials, sufferings, pains. You say, well, this is a sucky message. It's not because we can prepare for it. We can walk through them. That's the first thing. Trials are coming. But look what it says it says, count it all joy, my brothers. Rejoice because of what trials do. I'll just be honest. I've gone through some stuff in my life that sucked. It wasn't fun. It hurt. I was confused. I was angry. I didn't know what to do. Can I be honest? I have those things in my life right now. Right now. I got a text message this morning before I was setting up Kids Church that shook me. You can ask Miss Sherry. I went for a walk. I wasn't ready to start kids' church. I walked around the school and came back down. I, need, I said, God, I, I, need, I need help. You know why? Because our default reaction when a pain comes is not to go, yippee! Yay! It's almost like, James, what are you doing? Can you imagine this? Imagine for a second your family's being persecuted. We don't understand this, but imagine. Imagine, knock on the door tonight. You're a Christian. Yeah, get out of your house, my house. They set it on fire. They kick you out of the town. They murdered your sister. And James is going to show up in you and go, got it all joy. What? The message says this. James 1 verse 2 says, Consider it a sheer gift, my friends, when tests and challenges come from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open and shows its true colors. It's the point of our message. If there's no pressure on the carbon, do you know what you get at the end of the day? Carbon. 
But God allows trials into our life for one purpose, and this is the purpose. Look what it says. Your faith life is forced into the open, and it shows the true colors. You realize that the goal of a trial isn't to get out of it? Most of the time, that's what our prayers are, right? God, I have a physical ailment. Please heal me. Not a wrong prayer. God, I have this struggle at home. Fix it. God, I need you. Do. It says, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. If somewhere along the process of pressure and heat and flame and volcano, the diamond's like, I'm out, it doesn't become a diamond. And some of us right now, right now, we're going, I, I just can't wait until this is, what if God wants to make you a diamond? And you're going, can you just, can you just take away the flame? He's like, you don't understand. You need the flame a little bit longer because I'm going to do something special with this. I know you don't see it. I know you don't understand it. We know this from working out, right? Imagine if I go to the gym every day, scan my little key card, doop, go in there, and I get on the treadmill, and I run for 15 seconds. How in shape would I be? Not very much. You know why? Because I went... Good workout. That's what we want to do with trials. We want to go, okay, all right, it was a good flame today with some good pressure. I'm good. I'm good. Let's be done by tomorrow, okay? Tomorrow. I'll cry it out tonight, and we'll be done. And we miss the goal of trials. So we're going to get God's perspective. We've got to see that, hey, count it all joy. Trials are coming. Here's the third thing. How many of you right now, if you're like me, you're going, okay, James, Say, count it all joy, great message, cool slogan, how? Like, how do I count it all joy? How do I do it? Because this is not a human perspective. A human perspective is, my hand's in the fire, pull it out. It hurts. Look what he says, James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, wait, wait, pause. We make this about any wisdom, and it can apply to that. But what a wisdom he's talking about. How is it possible for someone to go through persecution, something that's really hard, a suffering, and to come out of the other side going, praise the Lord? We need wisdom for that. Look what he says. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. The message says this, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. What James is talking about here is something that is supernatural. It is not normal for us to come to suffering in our life and praise God, to count it joy. We need wisdom. You ever seen somebody make a tapestry? We don't really do a lot of tapestries now. We do different type of art, but this used to be very popular. If you look on the bottom part of a tapestry, it looks like a mess. I brought a picture. Check this out. This is the back side of a tapestry. Same thing. This is the front side. This is the back side. 
You know why we need to pray way more than we do? Because a lot of times I look at my life and it looks like that. And I don't understand. I don't understand why I have to watch my wife cry because she lost her daddy. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't Kai doesn't know Papa. I don't understand. But I know that there's a God who is bigger and above it all, and he sees the picture. And so in those moments, in order to get to the joy, in order to trust, I have to pray. See, God doesn't expect us to have the answers. God didn't write this verse in James through the author James, and he didn't write that and go, well, buck up, bro. Figure it out. Do better. Fix yourself. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Look what it says in James 5. It says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help, and you'll get his help. You won't be condescended when you ask for it. Do you realize when, is, is, I don't really like to hear Kai cry, because I'm not really good when I don't know what to do when he cries, but like, like when he's hungry, I'm not mad at him that he can't feed himself. He's not supposed to. So if there's something that you've gone through in your life and you're like, I don't understand. I don't see what picture this makes. This hurts, and it hurts really bad, and it's hurt for a long time, and I don't know what to do. Okay. God doesn't expect you to. But he's asking you to come to him. Pastor Bob said this last week. He said, godly vision grows in prayer. You want God's vision on your trials? Prayer. Look what the passage says. James 1 verse 6 says this. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Listen to me. Worry isn't prayer. We want it to be. We think, well, God's present in the room, and I'm kind of venting. It's not prayer. I remember my friend Jake lives in Pensacola, and he's got a boat. And Jake's cheap, right? So he, he has a boat, but he has, like, a little boat, okay? And he's got this, like, for a while he had a boat, but it was too expensive, so he sold that one. And he had this little dinghy. Anybody know what a little dinghy is? Like the little one that you can, like, blow it up. So he's, like, blowing. It's like, like what the seals go in, like, in an undercover mission, and they just throw it away because it's not worth anything. Like, that's what the seals do. Like, like... It's one of those. So he put an engine on the back of it. So me and Jake and my wife and his wife, Sarah, were out on the ocean, right? We're on the ocean in this dinghy. You know what was happening? We were just rocking like crazy because it's waves and an itty-bitty boat. This is what this passage is saying. Your prayers are you going, well, I hope it gets better, and I won. I mean, but it sucks right now, and it's... And he says a very strong thing. He says, you don't actually want the answer from me. He says, you're not going to get it because you don't want it. I just feel like I'm supposed to say this. I wouldn't plan on saying this. 
Some of you like the pain that you're holding on to right now. I've been there. Some of the things that were done to me in my life, they became my identity. And I didn't know what it was to move past those and to set those down. And Jesus says, it's fine, but you're going to stay right here. Worry isn't prayer. Using God as a last resort isn't prayer. The message finishes this passage. It says, we pray and we keep all of our options open. It's like, God, I, I would like to understand what you're trying to do right here. Give me wisdom, but I'm going to try and figure out everything on my own. Boldness in who God is and what he can do is prayer. So we need to let God change our perspective. Look what it says right here. James 1, verse 9. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Now, this doesn't make sense to us. These are weird words. Let me read what it says in the NIV. It says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Keeps going. Go back to the other one. I'm sorry. It says, because like the flower of grass, he, this rich man, will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes, so also the rich man fades away in the midst of his pursuits. You know what this passage is saying? To quote a very famous non-theological person, more money, more problems. Right? Here's what it's saying. Misunderstood riches are a disadvantage in your life. It doesn't say riches are. It says misunderstood riches. I was not mad at rich people. But check this out. A lot of times we say, I have this thing that's been in my life all of my life. Maybe it's this. Maybe it is, I've never felt accepted. I've never felt loved. And you know what a lot of people do? Men do this a lot. I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to buy a boat. I'm going to buy a sports car. And I'm going to have everybody look at me and go, he got it. I'm going to depend on that. Some people go to the gym 16 times a week. You know why? That's their riches. Some people can't get off Instagram. Got to post, got to post, got to post, got to post. Got to do another makeup tutorial. Got to do all of these things. The riches. Here's what this passage is saying. If dependence on God is the goal, weakness becomes an advantage. I want to write that down. That changed my life. If dependence on God is the goal, weakness becomes an advantage. That means that thing, that thing in your life that you hate, that you don't want anybody to know about, that thing that happened to you, that is actually the thing that will enable you to get to real power, which is God. I looked this up this week. You know what, you know what Steve Jobs' net worth was when he died? $10.2 billion. Not million, billion. $10.2 billion. You know what happened when he died? He died. I'm not trying to be disrespectful of someone who's deceased. But the dude made it financially. I can name you athletes who physically they made it. I can name you models who, who beauty-wise they made it. Or, or charismatic people who changed the world with their speech. I can name all those people. And every one of them, at the end of their life gone. God isn't trying to make you poor. 
He's trying to give you a right perspective. He says, listen, if you, want, if you think I've got this suffering in my life and this pain and this hurt and I've got to fix it, I've got to heal it, if you think that money or looks or education or sports, if you think that's going to, he says, listen, like, that's, that's like saying that I'm going to bank on a flower holding up my house. Like, the sun's going to knock that out. We have nothing without you, without him. So the first point is get God's perspective on suffering and trials. Here's the second point. I don't like this point, but it's a true point. Here's what it says. Stay in the fire. Endure. Diamonds need heat. If you remove the heat from the diamond, you get carbon. You don't get a diamond. Here's what James 1 verse 12 says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, listen, under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Here's a couple things you need to remember. God is calling us to stay in the trial that we're in. Not to get out of it prematurely, not to just request, eject, eject, no, no, no. Stay in the fire. You're not alone. There's a, there's a bridge in a song that I just learned called Christ Be Magnified, and this is what it says. It says, I won't bow to idols. I'll hold fast to what is true. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. God hasn't left you. He didn't go, jump in the flame, I'll be over here. No, no, He's with you. You're not alone. But look what it says, a reward is promised for those who endure suffering well. James 1 verse 12 says, He will receive the crown of life. There's two rewards I see. The present reward, if we endure suffering, if we come up with a thing that's really hard, that pain, that rejection, that abuse, that fill in the blank, we first have an increased faith. We don't run from God. We, we have our faith pulled out into the open because if, if you have a life that's just been all skipped to the loo and unicorns and cocoa puffs and all those things, well, you don't actually know if you love Jesus. I'm not mad at you. But if you've gone through something, if you've gone through some suffering in your life, and yet you still can go all my life, you have been faithful. You've got something real. But there's so much more than that. There is an eternal reward. We chase comfort in this life, and we want it to just be comfortable, and I want to sit on a couch, and I want a massage, and I'm not, I'm not mad at those things, but there is an eternity where Jesus says, if what you have gone through, if you will endure it and not run from me, if you'll trust me, if you'll love me, then I'll give you crowns of life. I think it's interesting that it says here, it says, love is the only motivation strong enough. If you think that you're going to just gut this out, 
I don't want you to think I'm being flippant in some of the things you've gone through. I say this a lot, and I mean this a lot. I sit and I think about the stories that I know in this room, and I go, man, that's, that's hard. Those cards were difficult. I don't know what I would do if I was dealt that hand. And I have cried for you all in this room. I have. I've prayed. And so if you think I'm telling you just suck it up, buttercup, I'm not. I'm telling you to do what this passage says. James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who just suck it up, which God has promised for those who just do their best, which God has promised for those who love him. You know what I was asking Joanna when I got on one knee? It wasn't, it wasn't hey, will you suck it up and marry me? <laughs> It wasn't, will you just please do your best to marry? It was, do you love me enough to spend the rest of my life? Love is the only motivation. Here's the last thing, suffering. Trust God completely. Trust God completely. James does this in kind of reverse. He comes to us and he presents two arguments against God and then gives you a reason to trust him. Here's the two arguments. Argument number one, God made me sin. You say, where does sin come in this passage? Here's what he's saying. If God is in control of everything, we talked about that last week, right? God, God has a sovereign hand. He, all the days of your life are written in his book. I don't understand all those things, but, but, but if he has that, and now this pain came into my life, and I responded wrongly to it. Maybe now I'm responding with some addiction. Maybe I'm lashing out. Maybe I'm closed off. Maybe I'm just angry at God and the world. It's his fault. He made me sin. Here's the second argument against God. And if God makes people sin by bringing bad things in their life, then God can't be good. Two arguments against God. God made me sin, and God isn't Good. James answers both of these. Here's the first one. Answer to God made me sin. Look at the passage. James 1 verse 13 says this. Let no one say when he is tempted. Tempted to do what? Tempted to look at God and say, your fault. You brought this pain in my life. You allowed her to die. You allowed the car wreck. You brought the cancer. You, your fault. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then when desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to key in here, because this is the most important part. There is no evil in God. None. None. God doesn't tempt people to sin. God's mission in life isn't, I wonder if I can trip up Adam today. He isn't coming and saying, I hope I can knock down Cameron. It's not God's plan. Sin comes from our own desires. Let me explain, this is important.
we have a desire to make whatever is uncomfortable stop. Make it stop. So maybe there's an emotional pain in your soul from someone who, who hurt you with words a long time ago, maybe it was verbal abuse, maybe it's something where you'll never be good enough, you'll never be good enough, and you, ever, you know what a lot of people do to try and make that emotional pain stop? Drugs. Food. I hurt right now. Stop. Maybe, maybe your emotional pain is you just feel unworthy. I'll never measure up. I'll never be good enough. My dad didn't love me. Mom didn't love me. The teacher at school didn't love me. And so, you know what? For those few feeling seconds, that woman on the screen who's willing to expose her body to my... Maybe she'll... And you know, you know in your head, it's not real. It's not... You, you can write down all the right answers, but for that one moment makes the pain stop. Maybe it's, I never fit in. I was never good enough. I couldn't sit at that table at school. I never, I never could. And so, so you'll do whatever it takes. And when that boyfriend or girlfriend says, hey, can you do this? Well, sh- sure we can do this because you've shown me attention. And, and, and if you think I'm talking about, I've done all of these things. I've never done drugs, just to clarify that realize I said drugs, but I've never actually done drugs, but it's no different. Can I say this? I'm not an idiot. I know what the stats say. The stats say that one in four girls and one in seven guys have experienced some form of abuse in their life. There's more than seven guys in this room. There's more than four girls. So for you to make the pain stop, there's a lot of you who just, I'm not going to trust anybody. Nobody will know me. I will never be hurt like that again. There is no evil in God. God doesn't tempt people to sin. Our sin comes from those places where we go, I need the pain to stop. And God said, you missed it. I I, I didn't allow that in your life to destroy you. I allowed that in your life to show you how good. Look what he says. Answer to God isn't good. James 1, verse 16, he says, Do not be deceived. My beloved brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light with whom is no variation or shadow due to change of His own will brought, He brought forth by the word of truth that we should be the first fruits of all creation. Did you catch what He said there? Don't be deceived. You know who brought the worst thing that you went through into your life? Evil did. Satan did. Sin did. It says don't be deceived because that's Satan's play. You remember what he did in the Garden of Eden? Got the tree, don't eat of the tree. God says if you eat of the tree, it'll destroy you. 
Satan comes to him and says, Hey, is God really good? Does he really love you? Because it looks like he's holding. Please catch this. There are things that God allowed. And I don't understand how that works in the cosmic universe, but I do know that when Satan, is, he has to get permission. And Satan wants to come to you and go, see? He wants to stab you in the back and go, you see what God did? Do you? And this is why James says, don't be deceived. God is a giver of good gifts. If you're looking at your life and you're going, you drop that in my lap, God's going, no, no, no. I allowed it because I give good gifts. You ever read the story of Joseph in the Bible? We, 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 we make Joseph like this, like, We've heard the story so many times. We know how it ends. Can you imagine being Joseph? Joseph was a teenager, right? Trying to do the right thing. His dad says, hey, go check on your brothers. His brothers are so jealous of him that they want to kill him. Okay? A little extreme, right? But they don't. And so their next best plan to not kill Joseph is to leave him in a pit. And then they're like, why don't we make some money for him? So they sell him into slavery. Like, we, we've heard this so more, it doesn't really hit us, right? But imagine that your family decides today, hey, bad news, Alec. Um, <laughs> you're going to work as a slave the rest of your life so we could make, like, 50 bucks. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Joseph goes to Egypt. He's in Potiphar's house. He works hard for Potiphar. That in itself is a miracle. The fact that he didn't kill himself, the fact that he didn't, like, screw Potiphar, I'm working for you. He rises to the ranks as a leader in Potiphar's house, and then he has this woman, Potiphar's wife, accuses him of something he did not do, and now Potiphar throws him into jail. Throws him into jail. He's in jail. More bad things happen to him. A dude gets out of jail, says, I'll remember you. He forgets. Joseph finally gets out of prison You know the story. There's a famine in the land. He reveals a dream to Pharaoh. Pharaoh promotes him to second in the kingdom. And his brothers now, they need food. And Joseph has all the food. And they come to him. And if I were Joseph, I'm just being honest. If I were Joseph in in that life, had the power, he had the whole army. He's second in command of Egypt. He snaps his fingers. They die. He snaps his fingers. He wipes out their whole village. Gives him? He says this. Genesis 50, verse 20 says, As for you, you, your brothers, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. On the Instagram, I posted a story by a lady named Christine Kane. If you've never read Christine Kane, you should look her story up tonight. She was left at a hospital, wasn't given a name. On her birth certificate is a number. The person that gave birth to her didn't even value her enough to give her a name. 
She went from orphanage to orphanage. She was abused sexually and physically by, by seven, eight men for years. If you look at her story, it's kind of like Joseph. Okay, well now I'm, okay, I'm in slavery. Oh, now I'm in prison. Oh, now. And what's really cool is I just went to a conference this year where Christine Spain, Christine Kane was one of the main speakers. And, and she now runs a worldwide ministry that is yearly saving thousands and thousands of young girls from sex trafficking. She's standing up in front of thousands, 65,000 people she stood up in front of and said, God is good and he is worth trusting. And she said that I've heard her say it. She said, the enemy wanted me being a number, me being some piece of meat to be passed around, me. He wanted to use that to destroy everything. And God said, if you'll give me that, she is saving thousands of girls. I'm not standing up here today to give you an answer of why. I don't know. I don't know why dad left. I don't know why home broke up. I don't know why you're going through that physical sickness. I don't know why you have that aloneness that you feel inside. I don't, I don't know why. I don't have the answer. I just want to do the same thing that Joseph and Christine Kane are doing, is to go, you can trust God. He is a good God. He is a giver of good gifts, and he will never change. Look what the message says. James 1, verse 16, it says, Mo, My dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable, beneficial gift comes out of heaven. These gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using His true word, showing us off as the crown of all creation. That's something interesting. I, I, I had planned on finishing this message differently today. I was going to use the lyrics of a song, and something weird happened today. It made me think. I, I, I don't normally get a chance to take a nap on Sunday afternoon, but I did today. And I was laying on the couch, and, and I woke up to Katniss. You don't know who Katniss is. She's my little cat. Little cat. Um, and, and she sat on my chest. She doesn't normally do this. Katniss doesn't really like people that much. She kind of does her own thing. Obby's normally the one, and Phoebe's, Phoebe's always, you know, she's always there. Like, but I woke up, and, and Katniss was sitting on my chest purring, being very sweet. So I petted her for a little bit, and I stayed on the couch a little bit longer. And, and it hit me. I brought some pictures with me. This, was, this is Katniss when, when I first got her. So this is literally, I went and picked her up. I was going to surprise Joe with another cat. And so I found this cat on Craigslist. I bought her for $25. And, and I got her, and I picked her up. And this, I was getting gas, and this is the first picture I'd ever took of Katniss. And she was so small, she fit in my little, I mean, she's mega small, mega tiny. And she's mega cute. Don't do the last picture yet. Hang on. I brought her home. I was so proud of this cat. And I looked down. And Katniss, she was, she was living in a barn. The person said she had this 
this big old gash in her neck. Show the gash. Is it on there? Sorry. It's pros. There it is. You can kind of see it there. She's not dead in that picture. <laughs> She's very much alive. She looks dead. But like she had this big gash. And I thought about that today because we're, I don't normally see it, but she still has a little scar right here. Her hair doesn't quite grow all the way there. She's got a little line right here. We're, obviously, she, we put medicine on it. We got her fixed up. And, and I was laying there, and I, it hit me. If I had never looked that cat up on Craigslist and I never went and got her and never brought her into our home, never, she'd probably died. I don't know what your scar is. I do know that if you're going to hate God, if you're going to ignore, you have to look past a whole bunch. Here's what's cool. I didn't know Katniss had the scar. I didn't know she had the gash in her neck when I bought her. Like I wasn't like, cat with gash in neck. I didn't do that. Like, and I didn't throw her out. I healed her. And now, it's a silly illustration, now Katniss has a great life. She sleeps in an air-conditioned house, not a barn. She eats good food. She gets pets all the time. She has like four beds she can hide underneath. I mean, she's, she doesn't sleep on top of beds. She hides underneath them. And maybe there's a message in that for you tonight. As we're talking about suffering, and as you and your mind right now, you see your... And it looks, I mean, it looks nasty. And you're not sure if you're going to make it. Can I, can I give you, like, just, this was the picture that came to my mind. Go back to the first picture of Katniss. That's the look. Because I, I didn't put her on the windowsill like that. I put her in the seat next to me in this little crate, and I was taking her back. It was up in Hickory, and, and I was pumping gas, and I look at the window, and she had crawled and was looking out and just said, I, 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 I want you. I don't have the answer of why. But I think the message in James, before we get into, hey, walk this way, hey, change this, hey, your faith is meant to be action, he has to go to these Christians who are being persecuted, who are being killed, and look at them and say, you can trust the dude outside the window. The one who just picked you up, the one who bought you, with his blood bought you. He's good. I know you think me and Brad playing these songs. We don't. All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so, so good. 
And I know you've been through some hard stuff, but if you'll let that bring you closer, if you'll let that strengthen your faith, if you'll pray to God and say, I don't understand how I can rejoice in that thing, but I want to, if I, I want to, please help me. I promise on the end of it, you'll end just like James is. There's a Heavenly Father, and He gives good gifts, and He isn't playing with your heart. He isn't fickle. He sees the whole tapestry. I know it looks like a mess, but He sees it all. And if you'll trust Him, if tonight, I promise you this, I promise, if tonight you'll go, that thing I've held on to, I need your wisdom. You can have it. You'll find that He's good. Here's what I want us to do. We, we, got, we, got, we got 10 minutes. Okay? And in what I feel like I feel like we should do is just is just we have we have some questions and, and if we want to talk about the questions you can, but I think I think what may be the better thing to do is just to just to get in groups and share an area where God has been good to you. And here's what I'll say. If you can't be respectful enough to just let somebody actually share, don't say anything. Because there's people in this room right now, I've seen faces right now, who this is not an easy message for them. And I'm not, I'm not in any way saying suck it up or, or don't be hurt or don't be angry. I'm saying trust God. And maybe this is what we need to hear tonight is just hear both of our friends go, God has been good to me right here. And then maybe someone close in prayer and do that. So if I asked you to lead a group last week and, and you said you were willing, if you'll, if you'll just grab, I don't know, five, five six people, um, and then we'll, we'll finish that way, and then we'll be done. So let's do this. Let me pray first, and we'll, just, we'll split. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you, you don't expect us to have the answers, but you want us to come to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so good. Lord, to, to be angry at you, to hate you, to blame you, we have to look past so much good. It is so damaging. And I pray you would help us let those things go and to trust that you love us and you're good and you have a plan and there is so much more you want to show us. But I pray you would be with this time.